Y'all, thanks for being here. If you're new, I didn't get to see the show of hands. I'm so glad. They're the props. But you get to come up and I pour them on your head. It's so fun. It's crazy. No. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad if you're here for the first time, I'm Laura Seifert, and I'm thrilled that you've chosen to be with us tonight. So thank you for coming because we know you could be eating Cane's chicken right outside if you wanted to, and you're not. So that says something right there. So thank you for coming. I'm so thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you go out there, get, just give me one tender, one tender. That's all I need. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd love some dipping sauce too. That's great. Uh, anyway, let me pray for us and then we'll jump right into tonight's lesson. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Uh, thank you that we need it, even if we don't recognize that we need it, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would come and fill this place, Lord. And I ask that you would speak to us in a way that causes each one of us to um, just to see you in a way that we've not seen you before. Regardless of how long we've known you or if, if, if we're not even sure if we do know you, Lord, you have the power to remove scales from our eyes. And so I ask that you would do that for your glory. I pray that you would um, seize my tongue and everything that comes off of it would be only words you want me to say. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like Sylvia said, we're in the middle of uh, the summer series and it's Jesus is the way, he's the truth and the life. And it comes from John 14, chapter 6. And he says this. To his disciples, he said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a lot of moxie to say that. He didn't mince words. He didn't dance around the subject. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus first says, I'm the way. Nobody even is reconciled to the Father. Not all roads lead to one. I am the way to the Father. And then last month, we looked at his claim that said, I'm the, I'm the truth. And we talked about Jesus claiming that he is the only source of truth. He is the source of truth. A lot of times we think it's really, you kind of discover your own truth and whatever feels right, go with your gut or go with your heart. I don't know if you're like me, but I've done that before and that's not worked out well. It led me off a cliff a couple times. Jesus is saying, I am the only source of truth the only source of truth. And then he says, I am the life. I am the life. That's a bold statement. And so tonight we're going to unpack that a little bit. But before we jump into the passage of scripture, I want you to think of, for just a minute, when is the last time you either thought to yourself or even said to yourself, this is the life. Oh, this is the life. When's the last time you thought that? Mine was the DR. You, Melissa? Just say yes. We did a mission trip together. Melissa Hughes, a good friend of mine, and we, we just came back from the Dominican Republic. And I'm telling you, there were times on that trip, multiple times, that I thought, this is it. This is the life. Because we were, there were four families that were together. We were just in sync. Our children were enjoying it. Uh, all of our needs were being met. We weren't cooking. Uh, if we were cleaning, it was actually fun because we were together and we had siesta time. I mean, literally for two hours, they made you go back to your room and just take a nap. It was a blessing. Uh, there was just, it was, there was just, it was just peace filled. It was beautiful. And I remember thinking, this is, this is the life. 
And so when I say that, and I then give you my own description of what this is the life means, what are some descriptive words that might come with that? When I say, or when you say, this is the life, what might you be feeling or experience, or, be, or experiencing in your own life to warrant that statement? So just give me some adjectives. What are some descriptors that would make you say, this is the life? How are you feeling? Relaxed? Comfort? What else? Satisfied, yes, for sure. What else? Joy, just peace. Nobody's fighting. All of our needs are met. It's just we're relaxed. I think satisfied really kind of can even cover all of that. So when is the last time you felt that way or had that experience? Some of you are laughing probably because it's been too long. (laughs) Others maybe because you're feeling that way tonight. I don't know. But like everything that I've experienced, when I try and and experience life from the outside in, like the trip to the Dominican Republic, it was a mission trip. My kids were with me, my most dearest people, and it was wonderful, but that ended in six days. So in six days, we're getting back on the plane, and I was like, it's over. And siesta time doesn't translate here like it does there. (laughs) I remember when I was graduating from college, and at, I went to A&M, and I mean, if you, I've said this before, but it was like, if you weren't engaged, you were ju- just consider yourself, I mean, just start collecting your cats, because <laughs> at A&M, especially when we were there, it was like, that was your degree, was the MRS degree, you are hunting down, you are, you're working to find that man, and I remember, I didn't get married till I was 30, and I remember thinking, well, you remember that movie, Jerry Maguire, when he says to Renee Zellweger, what does he say to Renee Zellweger? You complete me. And I remember thinking, when I meet him, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the life. I know. Why are you laughing? Right? And then you get married and you realize, oh, my goodness, his laundry stinks. Ah! That honeymoon ends. And then you got, you got the work of marriage to get into. I remember I thought, oh, if I have children, that will just, compl- oh, that'll just, oh, that'll be great. And they, they poop too. <laughs> You're wiping them too. I mean, it's just, it's, you know. I remember in, the career, in my career path, when I was graduating, I got in the, in the corporate world, I got this job that I thought, this is, I've arrived. I've arrived. I work downtown. My office has a window. It's like, what else is there? I understand the tunnel system. Done. And that, that didn't last long either. And so what I'm discovering and what you probably are discovering because we're smart women is that when we're seeking things, we're all longing for that thing, that itch, that, that thing to be scratched, that peace, that satisfaction in our soul that causes us to say spontaneously, this is the life. We were wired to feel that satisfaction. We were wired to feel that completeness, that peace, that security, that assurance. But oftentimes I'm looking out here trying to get it to bring in here. And so I'm thinking, okay, experiences are going to do it. Family relationships are going to do it. My bank account's going to do it. My health, the size of jeans I get to buy this time. I'm going to put this size on and I'm going to feel like the life. (laughs) Right? And so we know that that ends. It all tends to end and we're still dissatisfied. And I found a quote that is from Nick Nolte, the great theologian. Y'all know Nick Nolte. You know, at one point in Nick's life, he, had, he was really doing well. 
Did y'all see Prince of Tides? I mean, that was his heyday. I don't know what year that was. It was probably 77 or something. But, but he had a good span of years there where he was really a A-list actor and he was doing really well. And at that, during that season of his life, I found an interview that he gave and the interviewer uh, asked him a question and this was his response. I don't know what the question was, but his response is very telling. He says, there's this one thing that's still inside and that's kind of a yearning. And what that yearning is, I'm not really sure, but whatever it is, I can't quite get it quenched. I can't quite get it quenched. And he said, I think it's a need, a seeking of completeness. And I think that's the one quality of life that's common to all of us, he says. I think those are wise words and I appreciate his vulnerability because I think that's true. No matter what we achieve or whatever we receive or whatever we accomplish, it's, it, it doesn't scratch the itch forever. It lasts for a while, but it's not forever. And so there's some restlessness within us. And that restlessness was placed there by God because it's meant to be filled by him. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I came so that they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Would you be courageous enough to even entertain that to be true tonight for you? Jesus is saying this to you and he's saying it to me. He says, I came that you, Laura, that you, Jennifer, that you, January, that you, whoever, Melissa, that you, I came that you would have real and eternal life, more and better life than you could ever dream of. Do you believe that God has dreams for you that you can't even fathom? Ephesians 3.20. But what I think is interesting is when he says, I came that you might have real and eternal life. I think it's twofold parts that he's talking about. One is he's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about himself being the way and the truth and the life. And he's saying no one gets reconciled to the Father. We're all born into sin. None of us are taught how to lie. None of us are taught how to feel shame. None of us are taught how to sin. If you have children or if you've been around kids, you know that. And when we sin, we're no longer holy and we cannot be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And so what happens is we're cut off. And it feel, it, what it means is we're dead spiritually. Dead meaning we're not alive. Alive meaning we're connected to the Father. And Jesus is saying, I came to reconnect you to him because I'm going to die for you. And I came that you might have eternal life, meaning that when you die, you don't have to be afraid that you will know that you'll spend eternity with me. But I didn't just stop there. Oftentimes we're taught, and I've been taught this in different um, Christian settings and churches, is that there's this concept or this idea that once I become a believer, once I trust Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, invite him into my life, then I just kind of white knuckle it until I get there to heaven. And so my job here is I gotta be as good as I can. I need to represent him well. And so I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to not do that. I'm going to stop doing this. I'll start doing that. I'm going to try and stop saying that. And I'm going to work really hard, but my expectations will be low. But everything's going to get better when I get to heaven. And at some level, it's true in the sense that everything's going to get better when we get to heaven. But I'll tell you what's not true. What's not true is that we're meant to just kind of 
grin and bear it and just kind of suck it up until we get there. Jesus is saying, I came that you might have real life here, abundant life here, not just abundant life there in heaven, but abundant life here beyond what you could ever imagine, think, or dream. And I think, well, how can that be? How can that be? My husband's lost his job. I had a miscarriage. I'm divorced. My family member didn't get healed. How can that be? Because in our minds, real peace and real life comes externally. It comes when our relationships are intact. It comes when everything is moving up and to the right. And Jesus feels contradictory when he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he says, but I've come to give you abundant life. Well, then we've got to understand what does that even mean? What does abundant life mean? Because I can tell you, this sometimes feels like a battleground and I'm trying to avoid the landmines. So you must have a different definition of abundant life than I do, than this world does. So what is it? We're going to look at it and we find a beautiful picture of it in John chapter 4. And it's um, a pas- one of my favorite passages of scripture. I've, I've taught it before, but it's... it's What I love about Scripture Girls, if you'll be courageous enough to really get in there and not just take everything at face value but start to dig, it's like, um, well, it's not an onion because that stinks. It makes you cry. But it's got the layers of an onion. You just go deeper and deeper and deeper, and you think, I've never seen that. I never even knew that before. And that's what happened as I started studying for tonight. It's it's a beautiful passage. John chapter 4, we're talking about a woman that Jesus encounters at a well. And so we're going to start in verse 3. And as we do, I want you to be thinking about this. What does Jesus mean by the word life when he wants to give me life? Jesus left Judea and it says he went back once more to Galilee. And it said now he had to go through Samaria. And so when he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, Jacob had been, give, had been given to his son Joseph. Jacob gave it to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sat down by the well and it was about noon. What I love is scripture does not mince words and every word is intentional. He had to go through Samaria. Well, if you, if you really look at a map, he didn't have to. He could have bypassed it. Most Jewish people would have because of the people that lived in Samaria were Samaritans. They were a mixed breed of people and they were considered dogs. And so Jewish men and women would not associate with them. And so they wouldn't have gone through Samaria. They would have gone around Samaria. But Jesus says, Scripture says he had to go to Samaria. Why? Because he had someone he had to meet. He was pursuing someone. So Jesus stops in Samaria. Now something you need to know about this, it says near Sychar. Now Sychar used to be called Shechem. Say that, Shechem. Feels good, doesn't it? Shechem. Shechem. So Jesus had to stop in Shechem. Now what's interesting about this is if you'll take the time and you'll dig in, you'll understand why this is so significant. I've read and studied this passage and this was the first time I've discovered this. Um, Shechem, it's very, uh, there's a, a good reason why he's there. Shechem in Hebrew is translated to mean shoulder. Shoulder in Hebrew was meant to be strength, a place of strength. 
So Shechem was a town in Canaan, in the land of Canaan. Does anyone, have y'all heard of the land of Canaan before? It's the promised land. It's the land that Jesus said to the Israelites, this is where I'm going to lead you out of slavery, slavery from Egypt to the land of Canaan. And in the land of Canaan, there'll be what? What's going to be flowing in the land of Canaan? The land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And so Jesus is saying it's a land of abundance, but it's also a land of strength. Why is it a land of strength? Because his presence resides there. So when God's presence resides, we have everything we need. We have all the power. We have all the food. We have all the provision that we need. We have all the abundance. We have all the needs met, plus joy overflowing. And so what's interesting about this is we first see Shechem when God called Abraham back in Genesis. And he said, okay, get up, Abraham, leave your people, and you're going to walk with me to a place I'll show you. He leads him to Shechem. And it's at Shechem that he promises him and says, this is the land I'm going to give you. I'm going to give it to all your descendants. And you're actually going to have descendants. You don't believe that, but you are. You think that you're barren, but I can do more than you can think or imagine. You're going to have them, and this will be your land. And then time and time again, you'll see before the Israelites crossed over into the land, as soon as they did, they stopped in Shechem. And Joshua said, let's bury our idols. Let's make sure that we, we uh, recognize and honor God because he's been faithful and he's a God that keeps his promises. So it's no coincidence that God is about to make a promise to this woman in Shechem. And so when he sits down at this well, it's incredibly significant because what is he doing? He's tying the Old Testament to the New. It's not the Old Testament is separate and then here's the New Testament. It's an old covenant moves into a new covenant, but you see Jesus laced throughout it. You see God's covenant promises never change. They're throughout. And he doesn't break his promise. And so Jesus sits at the um, Jacob's well in Sychar and he meets this woman. She comes up there. And in verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Now, when he arrived there, he was with his disciples. And he could have said to them, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. He could have, they could have handed him a cup. He could have somehow gotten it. it he didn't necessarily need her. But he chose and he said, Will you give me a drink? So when he says this to the woman, he's saying, Give me a drink from your cup. Give me a drink from your cup, is what he's saying. That's incredibly significant, and we'll see why in just a minute. And in verse 9, the Samaritan woman looks back at him, and she says, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman, so how can you ask me for a drink? Here's what she's saying. is She recognizes that he's a man of honor, that he's a teacher, and he's Jewish. And she also recognizes that, that this man should have nothing to do with her because she's a woman and she's a dog woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a mixed breed. So essentially what she says to Jesus is she says, why would you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Now this is refreshing iced tea in here. But I want you to think for just a minute that this is tap water. That I just went to the sink and I poured open the tap and this is what came out. Now imagine how tasty does that look? But what she is saying to him is, my cup is not good enough for you. Here's why it's not good enough for you. I'm of the wrong race, and I'm of the wrong gender. Those are the two cards that have been dealt to me, 
And that has disqualified me from being able to associate with you, but much more so has disqualified me from you associating with me, from you coming into my life and drinking from my cup or anything that I would have. You wouldn't want to have anything to do with me because my cup is tainted. My cup is tainted. And I want you to think in your own life for just a minute, what is it that you go to that disqualifies you from something that you would love, maybe from ministry, maybe from volunteering, maybe from the life that you dreamed of. What is your go-to, if, you, if Jesus were looking at you, if you had a knee-jerk reaction to what might disqualify you, a hand that you've been dealt, what might you say? I'm divorced. I um, was abused, so I feel like a train wreck. I... Um, I'm a woman. I'm of the wrong race. I don't know what the things are that you feel like you've been dealt with, the cards that you didn't really have control over. We're going to look at the other cards in just a second. But is there anything in your life that you might think, this would knock me out? If there's something that comes to your mind, then you can relate to her. Because she says, I'm a Samaritan woman, and from the beginning I've been told that I'm not worthy just because of the way I was born. So why would you want to talk to me, much less why would you want to have a drink from my tainted cup? Jesus answers her in verse 10, and he says, listen, if you knew, and that word know means to recognize, it means to have the scales fall off, it means to have the aha moment that you go, I get it, that makes sense. Have you ever had that moment? It clicks, that's for me. Oh my goodness, I never saw that before. I think this is true. Jesus is saying that when he says, if you knew, if you recognize, if you understood the gift of God, the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living, living water, living water. If you knew the gift of God, the gift of God is life, life, eternal and real life. If you knew that, and what I love about Jesus, he says, if you really knew who it was that was speaking to you, if you knew who it was, you wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't feel shame in my presence because I'm not a condemning God. And you wouldn't have one hesitation, but to come right over and ask me for it. Are you ever hesitate? Do you ever hesitate in bringing your needs to God and being raw before him and saying, this is really what I need. This is what I'm desiring. This is what I want. This is what I gotta have. This is what I feel like I'm in a deficit. Do you feel a hesitation to go to him? And it could be because you just like control. It could be because you feel like you need to fix it. Or it could be that you feel ashamed, like you, should, you, don't even, you shouldn't have this need. I don't know how you feel about coming into the presence of Jesus, if that's intimidating, if there's anything that would keep you from him. But he says back to, you, to all of us, he says, if you knew me, and if you knew what I want to give you, you wouldn't hesitate to ask me because you'd feel safe, you'd feel loved, you wouldn't be afraid. Because where the spirit is, there is freedom. She doesn't have a fat clue what he's saying. In verse 11, she's like, okay, sir. The woman said, you don't have anything to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? And 
she's, she's like I am. She's just like a little bit dense, doesn't get what's happening. Scales are still on. And in verse 13, Jesus answers her and says, okay, everyone who drinks this water, this water, everyone who drinks the water, the cup from this well is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I want to break this down for just a second. He says, now picture that maybe this is the well right here. And he's saying everyone that drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. Now, what's represented by this well is where she is temporarily finding life, right? So physically, she's got to go there every single day to get water. So physically, it's a need, but it's also symbolic of the other ways that we try and find life, is it not? And we will see that in just a second. So Jesus is telling her, anytime you come to this well, it's going to run dry. And it's going to run dry because it's a temporary fix for an eternal need. And so anytime you come here, you're going to have to continue to come back here. So I want us to think for just a second about the ways that I find life that are good ways. They're good things. Nothing about the things. My marriage, my spouse, my relationship with my husband is a way I've tried to draw life. Um, my career, my ministry has been a way I've tried to draw life. It's been an identity for me at times. It's been so much satisfaction for me, and it has run dry many times. My children, my children have been a biggie. I keep running to them. They've run dry. Uh, my career, uh, my finances, Maybe uh, the status of your neighborhood, wherever you live, or the circles in which you run. What are those good things that you come to? Jesus is saying those will run dry because they were never meant to provide life. They were never meant to provide life. So he's saying you're going to have to keep coming back here and keep coming back here. And so I want you to think about it for just a minute. Is there a well in w to which you run? Is there a well? There is for all of us. But what is it that might stick out to you as we're talking about it tonight? And he's saying, not in a shameful way, he's just saying, listen, everyone that comes to any well that's not me, it will run dry. It will run dry. It was never meant to be God. It was never meant to fill the needs that I placed inside you. And the woman, verse 15, she responds again, and she's like, I'm not exactly sure where we're going here. And she says to him again, sir, well then give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. I'm so tired of coming here. If you notice in, the, in verse um, three and four, when it said Jesus was at the well around noontime. Now women in that day and age, they would walk together to the well in the morning time. And so this woman's by herself in the heat of the day. And there's a reason for that. And we'll see it in just a second. But she says, oh man, just give me the well. Give me the fix, whatever it is. I'm so tired of coming here. What is the well that you're so tired of going to? But Jesus knows. Jesus says we're to worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus knows that there's some truth in her life that needs to come to the surface. And Jesus then says to her in verse 16, he says, Go call your husband and come back. 
go call your husband and come back. Why on earth? That feels like such a left turn. Why would he then say, they're talking about water. He's saying this is temporary. She's saying, well, then give me the, the golden bucket so that I don't have to come back here again, whatever it is. And he says, go get your husband. Go get your husband. And she says in verse 17, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you're right when you say that you don't have a husband. Because the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. And what he's saying to her is you've, you've been truthful. You've come clean. You've spoken the truth. Now what you must know is Jesus is not saying this in a condemning way. He's saying it in a way to free her. And so when Jesus says, go get your husband, he's exposing her. He's exposing her. Have you ever been exposed? Have you ever been caught? discovered, found out, humiliated? Have you ever uh, even just sent a text and it went to the wrong person? And you're like, no! I remember in high school, I dated a boy for two years in high school. He was two years older than me. And so it was my senior year and he was away at college and we had broken up and there was this sweet boy that had asked me out and we were kind of seeing each other and we were going to go to prom together and the old boyfriend was in town and I saw him. And, but I wasn't going to tell the other boy that I was double timing and so I was in his Mustang, red Mustang, and we were at, at a light at a red light, sitting there, and I kid you not, here comes the other kind and gracious boy passing us by in his car. And I'm telling you, I can remember the look on his face like it was yesterday, and it's been a couple years ago, <laughs> as far as you know. And I remember I was caught. I was caught. I mean, it, there was no way, it, what was I gonna say? Well, he was having a really hard, what was I gonna, there was nothing I could say. And it was horrible. And not only had I hurt him, but I'd hurt his mother, who was like another mother to me. It was just icky, icky, icky. And that's just the story I can tell. <laughs> you know? But there are so many other things in my life where you feel like you're, you've just been exposed. There's nothing more terrifying to us. You try and give me some. There's nothing more terrifying than being exposed. Maybe the loss of a loved one, but I don't, it's not even the same category. To be exposed brings shame, and shame is the most horrifying thing. That's why we love social media. That's why we love to present, ah, we're living the life every day. Look at my kids, they're so cute. Look at how happy we are. Look at all these trips we, look at blah, blah, blah. I love social media. I think it's got a great place, but I also think it um, is a great distraction, and I think it does a great job of image management for us. And I think it's an easy way for us to present what we want to present to the world, that we've discovered the life. And we get to choose when we want to be vulnerable on social media, and we do, we, we kind of expose ourselves just a little bit, but it's in the way we can control it. And so we love to see how many responses we get and likes to, and then that makes us feel good. It can get really sick really quick. But have you ever been exposed when you didn't ask for it? Horrifying. And that's what she's experiencing. Jesus is saying, go get your husband. 
And she's saying, no, 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 no. See, I'll tell you what disqualifies me, but it's the cards that I've been dealt. Those are the cards that I'm going to share with you. That's what's tainted. And Jesus is saying, baby, there's more cards. And they're cards that you've dealt yourself. And we're going to go there. We're going to go to that place because you'll never be truly free and you'll never understand life until you understand forgiveness in the deepest, darkest places of your soul. You'll never understand what it feels to, what it means to be free until you have stood before Jesus yourself and he has said, go get whatever it is. Until Jesus has said, this is your well, Laura. This is it. Because Jesus knew the whole time why he had to go to Samaria and sit at that well and wait for that woman because he knew she had been over and over and over hopping from these relationships. And I'm certain she'd been abused. I'm certain she'd been a victim, but I'm also certain that she thought probably the next guy, this is the life. And Jesus is exposing that not to condemn her, but to free her. Jesus is saying, if you notice in verse four, when he said, give me a drink, he knows how dirty this water is of hers. And he's saying, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Give me a drink because he loves the taste of sin. No, because he loves that she could be free. So much so that he's willing to drink this of hers that will lead to death. So that she gives him her cup and then takes his and can drink the living water that leads to life. The gospel is good news. It's good news. It's not religion. It's good news. He's saying, give me a drink. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to go to the cross and he is sweating drops of blood because of the anxiety, because he knows what's coming? And he says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass before me. But nevertheless, your will be done instead of mine. Why is he saying that? Because he knows that this cup of sin will lead to his death. Because this cup of sin is what leads to ours. And he's saying, I've come that you might have life, eternal life, but it will cost me everything to give it to you freely. So he says, go get your husband. All right. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five and the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. It's not about marriage. It's about your well. It's about what you're running to over and over. And y'all, our, our well can just be our thought life. Our well can be a pit of bitterness. Our well can be self-condemnation or pride. It can be all sorts of things. You ask God, if you're not quite sure, just ask him, Lord, would you just show me what are my wells? What are the things that I run to? He's gracious and good. He'll tell you because he wants you to be free. Go get your husband. I can't. He said, you've, you've spoken truly. And then in verse 19, she flips out. I'm assuming, I'm adding that emotion to it. But, because imagine, she says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet and our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that that's the place we should worship in Jerusalem. What is she doing? She's doing what we would do. What is that? Deflect. So let's get, let's get distracted here by religion, Right? And she's saying, we're different denominations. Hang on just a second. You worship in that building. I worship in this one. And we Catholics have it right. You Episcopalians, you don't know what you're doing. And the Baptists, well, that's another story. And then what is this whole secret church all about? And then, oh my goodness, they actually raise their hands in worship and they sit up and stand down and sit up and do the whole thing. And you see, 
We're good at that, aren't we? We're good at religion. And so she's like, let's just get it off of me. I don't want to talk about this. I'll talk about the hymnal and the guy leading worship and how that song should never be played again. I'm going to talk about that church picnic. I'm going to talk about that Cane's chicken was not crispy anymore. That's what I'm going to talk about. But I'm not going to talk about what's really going on. And Jesus says this to her. Woo! He says woman. And that, one, that word woman is not woman. It is translated with great affection. When you see that, he says that to several women in Scripture. Nobody treat, treated women better than Jesus. Nobody. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you're going to worship the Father, not on that mountain or in Jerusalem. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation's from the Jews. And he says, but there's a time that's coming and a time has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The spirit and in truth. And the woman, God love her, she says, okay, well, I know there's a Messiah called Christ, and he's coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us, but you're freaky, and I don't know how to handle this. I added that part too. Um, but in verse 26, Jesus then declares, he says, woman, I, the one speaking to you, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm him. And the scales fall off her eyes. Do you remember? Have you had a moment? Have you had an encounter like that with Jesus? You can be in church your whole life. You've got to have a personal encounter with him. It can be on your floor, in your bathroom, on your knees. It can be in your car. It can be... It, He's powerful. But at some point in each of our lives, we must encounter the Messiah on our own. He's got to move from my mom and dad's religion to my God. And that comes through relationship, not religion. And I'm not dogging religion. I'm dogging it if it's in place of a relationship. I have a great church. This is a fantastic church. I love this church. God uses and he loves the church. But the people that he tried to pierce the most, that were the least self-aware, were the religious leaders. Because they were so caught up in the peripheral things that they missed the main point, which is Jesus himself, the Messiah. And he's saying, I'm, baby, I'm standing in front of you. I'm here. I'm here. Salvation's come to your house. Not condemnation. Freedom has come to your house. And it says in verse 28, right after he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Consider this to be her water jar that she carried up there to get water. It says in verse 28, then leaving her water jar. I think that's um, literal and I think it's symbolic. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's story, because of her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I want to pause for just a second. Leaving her water jar. Why did she leave her water jar? Because she had encountered the Messiah and her needs were met. Her needs were met. 
she was experiencing Shechem the way it was intended. And so because of that, she was able to lay this thing down and put it in its proper place. Now, she's still going to need physical water. But it's not the well from which she's going to draw spiritual life anymore. And we miss it. We, we mix it up. And so shopping is, I've said this 5,000 times, I love it. But it's got to have its proper place. It can't be the thing that is the coping mechanism. Whatever it is that you find. Because when this well full of good things doesn't meet our needs, then we go to the things that help cope with the disappointment of the things that didn't meet our needs. So our wells can be good things and they can be destructive things. And she had both good and destructive. She had all sorts of things. And she laid it down and she went back into her town. And she went back into her town without um, the right set of rules to follow. She went back into her town and this great theologian that transformed her community through the power of Christ simply said, you got to come and see this. You've got to meet the man that changed my life. And here's the thing. There had to have been something, well, just the moxie that she had to go back into the town that had rejected her, that wouldn't even walk up to the well with her. For her to have the courage to go back to them and say, you've got to come and see this, that's transformation right there. But can you imagine what her eyes look like? Can you imagine for the first time she'd met a man that hadn't abused her? Can you imagine for the first time God had put his finger and pointed to the very thing and said that, that's not going to rule you anymore. You don't have to come there anymore. I love you. I don't condemn you. I restore dignity to you. Now go and live your life. And I'm going to live it through you. And she goes right back and the entire town comes to Jesus. You see, here's the thing. Oftentimes we get so tripped up on, okay, well, what if my coworker asks me why I come to this thing? Or what if they ask me what I believe? And I don't know how to share my faith. And that's weird. And that's going to make her think I'm a cuckoo. And so I'm not going to say, we get so stressed out. If you've encountered Jesus at all, just tell people what that was about. And don't be weird about it. Don't do it on aisle five to a stranger if you've never met him and you pin him up against the rice wall and you say, hang on, before you get the Uncle Ben's, let me tell you, I mean, just be yourself. Be normal. My husband gave me a, a picture for my birthday and it says, uh, be who you were meant to be and you will set the world on fire. And what's powerful about that is be who you were meant to be, is not find your skill set. What are you really good at? Find your strengths. Those are important. But be who you were meant to be is who we see in this woman. Who she's meant to be is a redeemed woman that's loved and secured in the Father's love for her, that's forgiven, that's transformed, not a woman that's perfect, a woman that's loved and forgiven by the Savior. That's what it is. And that will change the world. That will change the world. And that's what she did. She turned around, left her water jar, and they came back. Verse 42, it says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man is really the savior of the world. God's intention for you is to know him as personally as I do, or your pastor, or anyone that you look up to spiritually. He's for everyone. He wants to be as intimate with you as he is with anyone else. In Job, we'll close out in just a second. It said in Job 42, 5 and 6, it says, Job is speaking and he says, I admit that I once lived by rumors of you. I love that. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Meaning I've been around you. I've heard a lot about you. 
And I admit that's the way I live. But now, he says, I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. And he says, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again, listen to this, I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay and crumbs of rumor. That's the message translation. I think is, I love the way that's translated. I will never again live on crumbs of hearsay and crusts of rumor. See, Jesus is saying, I love that you come to Bible study. I love it. But he's saying that can't just be it. I want intimate fellowship with you. And it can happen at Bible study. But if it's kind of a just, you know, keeping him at arm's length a little bit, Jesus is saying you're still not experiencing abundant life. Because I just don't, I'm just, I won't be that funny anymore. And you'll have heard that story five times. And you'll, you know, in, in at church, you'll start to be more, a little bit more critical. You'll see this. Because it won't meet the need anymore. It's a different type of well. It's the same thing. You keep coming back to something. Jesus is saying, anything that's not me personally in your life will run dry. Will run dry. And he's saying, I came that you might have life and that you would have it abundantly and that it would well up. And what that means is that in the darkest places, life will be hard no matter what. But in the darkest places, there will be a voice that speaks to you that says, you are not alone. I see you. I love you. I'm at work. You will be in the Dominican Republic or wherever your happy place is, and you will love it, but it pushes you to the Savior. I, didn't fall, I love the Dominican Republic, but I know who the giver is, and it pushes me to him. Right? And so God will bless you with that house that you've dreamed of and you'll move in and you'll love it and you'll share it, but you'll love him. You'll enjoy the creation, but you'll love and worship the creator. The creation, anything that's created is never meant to bring life, humans or non-humans. So my question as we close tonight is, are you alive spiritually? Jesus did not come to make good people, I mean bad people, good people. He came to make dead people alive. And so spiritually speaking, when he says, I come that you might have life, real and eternal. Do you have eternal life? Do you have it? All that means is that you've looked at the cross and you've said, I need forgiveness for my sin. My cup is tainted and I need forgiveness. And he's made a way on the cross when he drank my cup and your cup. And all you have to say is, Lord, forgive me and I want you to forgive me and I want your cup. I want you to come into my life, fill me, and be living water. That's what it means to be a believer, a Christian. Are you alive? And when that happens, you come alive spiritually because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And that's as we could go on in that, but that's what happens. And all of a sudden, it's like you put on a new set of lenses and things are in color and things make sense that didn't before and you begin to see people differently and, and your life looks different and you have a different perspective. And so if you're not sure if you've ever really made that decision, maybe you've lived by rumors of him. And the Lord is saying, babe, come to me. Come to the table. Come to the table and eat of the bountiful fare. And then the second is maybe you have received salvation and you've walked with the Lord, but you've just kind of walked away and, and you've been going to a different well for a long time and the Lord's saying, just come back to the living water. He loves you. He's for you. He doesn't condemn you. There's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 
So be courageous women with me and let's ask ourselves the hard, honest, truthful questions. Knowing that we serve a God that says, if you know me, you're not gonna be afraid to get really truthful because I'll never shame you. I will always accept you and he'll always heal us. Let me pray and, and we'll close out. Um, Father, we thank you, we love you. And I'm asking by the power of your spirit, would you do what only you can do and would you cause the aha moments to happen? Would you help this make sense to us, Lord? Would you cause us to uh, dwell on the, the thing that we need to dwell on tonight? And would you guard us from the thoughts that aren't from you? And Lord, we love you and we thank you that you offered to give us life and I pray that we'd receive it. Tonight.